Hi everyone, uh, Yamesters. It's been a while, hasn't it? Um, we are we've missed you, um, and we've we've jumped on to do this live as soon as we got finished with Nemo the Mormon. So we wanted to get started straight away because we want to do this. Um, uh, we've got a lot to get through in a very short space of time. Um, we want to say uh, thank you so much for everything that you've been working on with us this year. Um, we've needed a bit of a break, uh, it, although it's not been a break. We've needed the, we've needed the time that we would have been podcasting with Sarah. How crazy have these past few months been for you? Incredibly busy. Yeah, I mean, I honestly very very busy. Several hours a day, literally on safeguarding for church. But it's been every minute of it has been time well spent, but in far far busier than i ever imagined we would be which is one reason why we're taking a little bit of space away from podcasting because there's been a lot of things happening in the church that we really want to talk to you about tonight let you know what's happening where things are going do a really good balanced review of everything that's going on and bring you all up to date Exactly. And and so this is super late for, for us, as, as Chloe points out. Um, yeah, thank you for being with us. Um, I, I do want to take just a couple of quick minutes just to kind of give you guys a sense of um, what's happened in these past few months, um, we, where we've been at in our heads. Um, I, I would say, I would say for me, things are getting definitely so overwhelming because we are constantly working on safeguarding whereas before you know we it was only content and then the safeguarding stuff happened the urgency of it happened we committed to do a survey which was going to take just incredible amounts of time which is, is what what we were so excited to be able to um hear and amplify the voices of victims um and along Side that we have been experiencing deconstructing reconstructing experiencing this uh nuanced mormonism in our own unique ways and oh bloody hell has it taken its toll and and that's never mind sort of family circumstances <laughs> that happen and you know the 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 unique needs that our families have so we have been burnt out we have been angry we have been not sleeping <laughs> we have <laughs> sarah um I, I we've had to actually put sarah in a timeout corner just to make her sleep um how how has it been for you T tell me about your because and, and i want to be very clear we're not talking here about working with victims and victim stories right what about this place of Mormonism that you're in. T tell me just, just a yeah. little bit about that. And I think I'm really pleased, Jane, that you said we're talking about victims and victim stories here because one of the things that I've always been a little bit loath to do is to talk about just where you and I are at emotionally and how this journey is being for us because I don't want anyone to hold back coming forward and talking and saying exactly what they need to say because of that. So that's always kind of made me not want to do that. Mm. But I think it's really important that we actually talk about the emotional impact of Mormonism. As you say, we've we've been through a roller coaster, a roller coaster of do we stay, do we go? Will they push us out? Will they welcome us in? 
do we vote with our feet? What do we do? And we've certainly I've been through a process for many, many years, a few several years now, where I've been deconstructing things, taking things apart, pulling them to pieces. And I've just got to the point now where those of you that are British will probably have seen this program on TV where they go in and somebody's saying every single item. Three piece suite, everything. Yeah. And they lay it all out in a huge giant warehouse, like in front of them. And then they say to this family, look at every single item there and take back the things. Yeah, Mark, I love that place in Hereford. We need to meet there soon. And we take every single thing, lay it out, look at it, and only take back into your home that which is of real value to you, that which brings you joy, that which adds value to your life that which you really want mm. and i think that's what i've been doing with faith and mormonism yeah it absolutely everything out and look at it and thinking does that work do i see god in that do i see hope in that do i see peace in that and if it does how does that work for my life now and if it doesn't well then it has to go right I think that's um, Sarah, could, just to help the audio, do you think I could get you just to sort of hold your microphone just so that it's it's um it's not bumping your, your shirt, just just so that we don't get any feedback there. Thanks, okay. thanks so much. Um and and yeah, and uh, what I've been struggling with um is I don't the church doesn't seem to want me. It's um, you know, I've I I I'm here and um yeah, sort of feel like the I feel like the the abandoned spouse. Um, mm. That um, and, and you can only continue in in that space for so long. So and and I love that um you know this comment about you know how traumatic this is, and we know we get that we've heard it said so many times. And it's always so different, though, when it's you that's physically having to experience it. So, I, you know, I I have still, I'm still figuring out who who I am as I, as I pick up these pieces. So, yeah, I just, I just wanted to let the audience know that we're having um, all of this crazy faith, wonderful, you know, exciting um, stuff going on as well as, as well, us. And, and, and what I think has been, has been, quite an experience for me and my experience is the polar opposite of your experience Jane with church at the moment whereas your ward seemed to have done a complete runner and ostracized you and marginalized you and I'm so angry with your ward one day I'm going to come there and go visit them but I'm so angry with the way your ward have just walked away I've actually experienced the exact opposite and I'd walked away but since doing this safeguarding work and since serving in a state calling, which I joke about very frequently, I'm mm. the only inactive person ever to have been given a state calling. But since I started doing this state calling as a state safeguarding specialist and working with the state president very closely around trying to bring about the changes in safeguarding procedures within the UK, I've actually got to know lots and lots of people and have actually found everybody very very friendly and very welcoming towards me and it's been really interesting the number of people the huge number of people in my state that have come up to me and said i know you i've seen you lots of times but you've never seen me or you've never spoken to me and i'm like 
okay, who are you? And then they just look at me and they go, 21st century saints. And I'm thinking, you follow 21st century saints. And it's really surprised me just how many people mm. out there are watching and listening. Yeah, because you feel so alone because nobody, yeah, nobody's like, talking ooh. about it. And so, no. so well, yeah, when someone says that, it's 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 I so know. yeah. Um so yeah, that's where we are. Now, what I want to just tease, one of the things we're going to do next year is Sarah had mentioned the calling that she has. You um, probably are all kind of aware she's one of the newly called um, stake safeguarding specialists. And we're going to come back to talk a little bit about mm. that just shortly. But how she has got to experience Mormonism itself is absolutely fascinating and especially if you have experience of any sort of marginalization as a woman or someone who doesn't get to get oh, to hold yeah. uh traditional callings that you know if, if you're not part of, sort of that male structure or even if you are you're going to be fascinated because this this is this we have not heard of this happening before you guys are going to love hearing about just digging into what's going on there um not about her calling about what it's done um and how she serves it's kick-ass um so we're going to talk about that very early next year hopefully but we're going to take you straight away um uh to what we're here to talk about um we appreciate everything in the comments. Um, everything so far we're gonna we're gonna address as as we go because we need to kind of rush through this. So we launched the survey last year, uh, sort of at the end of last year, and it was open for around about a period of six months. And we're going to, I'm going to share my screen and bring you up um, some infographics. Now, this infographic is going to break down what we found out from our survey and it's really important that as we go through this we're going to be able to give you a sense of what you need to know about what's happening in the UK what victims have said what we have learned and we're going to end with what we are calling for and our phase two of our campaign for next year. So I'm going to just zoom us in a little bit here, and there will be a little bit of analysis as we do this. So 21st Century Saints, our survey on abuse in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in the UK, and these infographics will be available across our social media channels after we have finished this broadcast tonight. So these, this is hot off the presses. We had um, over 140... Um, cases that we looked at, uh, 140 um, in total. We had around 40 of those were, were, were case studies. Um, for respondents, we, uh, and so, so we looked at 140 reports conducted, 40 case studies. We learned that abuse in the church is underreported, which is what we believed would be the case. And we saw that confirmed. We heard consistent messages um, again, as we had anticipated, and they were highlighting issues with the prevention and response to abuse. Now, we've just been talking with Nemo the Mormon and Peter Bleakley, and we were talking about um, Elder Patrick Keaton and his calling. Um, and some of the sort of critiques that I want to talk a little bit about tonight, and we're going to get into it, is... Um, the church can make very, very clear statements about abuse. We have very, very good people out there 
exceptional people. Let's take people being good people out of the equation because when we think about the example of Elder Patrick Heeran, an example, very good man. Uh, so we've we've been told uh, who who does this, who presents this talk in a general conference on the subject of abuse, and very very clearly, it's not your fault. Exactly what we've needed to hear. There's very little around the prevention of abuse and the response to abuse. So there were some fantastic messages uh, for victims and survivors, some fantastic messages around the theology and language that the church uses to underpin its messaging around it, but we don't have anything to actually work with. Um, we asked in the survey, did you feel supported by your church leaders? No one who responded to the online survey told us that they felt supported by members of their church leadership. Now, when we did do, when we conducted case studies, um, there, there were a few people who told us that, yeah, mm -hmm. well, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't too bad. Sarah, do you want to, do you want to sort of clarify what, what you experienced about people feeling, feeling supported? I, th I think we, ex we experienced a range of reactions and emotions and impact. And for a lot of people, very particularly the group that filled in an online survey, they hadn't felt that they'd been supported at all. Mm. But most of their not feeling supported was very, very much linked to a lack of knowledge and understanding in bishops. It wasn't that bishops just per se didn't care or were horrible, nasty, just didn't care. Although there were examples of that that were very mm. alarming. But what we actually found was the lack of knowledge, the lack of training, the lack of preparation for the calling, the lack of understanding of abuse and trauma and how that impacts on people meant that they were not able to respond in a way that victims felt was useful or that made them feel that they were being valued, believed and understood. So that was kind of one whole area of that. The other area is we did have some really good examples of people that we spoke to in depth and in detail where they found the offer that we were able to give to them of meeting with a church leader and having a discussion about their abuse and what had happened to them where they wanted to do that they were saying look I want to tell somebody what's happened to me and have them listen to this some people fed back to us that they had found that very very powerful and very supportive and that they felt that was going to help them move on even if that was moving on with their continuing to leave the church or live outside the church for some, it meant they felt that they might be able to stay. But some people had some really good experiences. But the ones that had the good experiences seem to be the more recent cases where there seems to be yeah. much more understanding and knowledge generally. I, I agree. And, you know, we, we were concerned about, you know, I, I think... Um, if we were to facilitate, because we often we were facilitating these uh, these meetings with um, appropriate people, mm. um, you know, we, we wanted to make sure that if if we are suggesting that this is an option available to you as the survivor, um, we want to make sure that we're not putting you back into the hands of someone who's going to further re-traumatize you. So we we needed yeah. to make sure that that was something very clearly that the survivors or their families wanted to do and that it would be handled well. We tended to find it was members, mm -hmm. people who were sort of seeking to 
really engage with church um and often when people had sort of made um were, were still sort of struggling or had um, made decisions to leave the church, they had often found that they, they wouldn't like to accept, um, you know, any any opportunity to speak mm -hmm. further about it um, with the church. Um, in general three, did you feel supported by your church community? And again, very few of our respondents were telling us that they felt supported by the wider community, although there were some positive experiences. Now, here's this key. Do you feel that your bishop knew what to do and most um, respondents were sharing their belief that often bishops did not know what to do when abuse mm. was disclosed and and that would sort of bear out what we were seeing and then finally in this infographic we uh, before we move on to the next one um where you offered therapeutic services and although the church provides member access to counseling and support services which is wonderful that they, they offer that. Most respondents were not able to access those therapeutic services following their experience of abuse. Sarah, any thoughts on that infographic? Yeah, I, I think that's a really powerful one. One of the things that the church can do, and one of the things that I have a good opportunity to do, is to provide therapeutic services for victims. That is something that they have historically not done particularly well. It hasn't been it hasn't been the first offer that bishops have come up with. And it absolutely should be a really close, very important offer that's made to everybody. Some people have given us mixed views. Some people have found that incredibly helpful and they felt it's really enabled them to move on and heal. And even if they've gone and accessed therapeutic services elsewhere, they've actually found it's been a really good first step and they've got a lot of support and help from that. Some people have not been very positive about their experience at all and found it too church focused and too difficult and they were a little bit too concerned that there was a bit too much bishop influence on what was happening but in conversations with most people a lot of people found it really helpful my apologies when that I thought I shared the screen. Okay, let me just quickly zoom people through. And again, this will be on our social media channel. So this is literally um, what I've just let you all know alongside some little pie charts and some graphs on it. Like I say, it's going to be across our social media channels as soon as we are finished. Um, Sarah, any other thoughts, closing thoughts on that infographic before we move on to the next one? Now, I think, again, it comes back to what we learned very much about this whole area of support and where the bishops knew what to do it comes down to the paucity of training that is offered to our bishops. Wonderful. Now, the next infographic that I'm going to bring up um, and we're going to this, this is where things start to get. This is where we're we're ready to work, people. <laughs> so these are. Um, are areas of concern that we've identified based on based on the survey. So the areas of concern in the survey have highlighted, first of all, a cultural context. Church culture sends clear messaging around not criticizing leaders. Um, now, I just want to say also, Sarah, I um, won't be able to see you well while this graphic's <laughs> up. So just jump in if there's yeah. something that you want to clarify, because we do sure. need Sarah to, um, you're, you're going to enjoy her commentary around some of the things that we're talking about. 
In addition to this, uh, the, the second point in cultural context yeah. is that congregations have innate faith in leaders and the process of inspiration. And finally, let's the talk about that a little mm -hmm. bit, Jane. Let's talk yes, about this. Let's do it. One of the significant barriers that we have to responding effectively to abuse in this church and thus preventing abuse and enabling victims to heal is culture. Right. And that's one of the biggest changes that we need to see in our church is the cultural changes that are necessary. For example, we say to a child, young person, a youth, a child, we say to them, the bishop's called of God, the bishop operates under inspiration from the spirit, the people he calls are called of God, and therefore God wants this person to be your young women's leader, your primary teacher, your activity day leader, your camp leader. So you have youth and children that are taught and told that these people are called of God, they're called by inspiration, and that God wants them to be in the position they are in. If that person then behaves abusively towards them, what sense are they to make of the fact that God is allowing that abuse to happen because God put that person in that position? How do they tell anybody about that abuse when they're taught not to criticise leaders? and that we shouldn't criticise, how are they supposed to tell? And when we have a congregation that have this innate faith and trust in leadership, how do we challenge things that we see them doing that we think are inappropriate or wrong? So that's the absolute foundation of making really significant changes for victims in the church, is every single member of the church being willing to challenge the culture that we have and to say to our children and our youth, yes, it's great that bishops can pray and it's great that they can have the influence of the Holy Spirit, but that's not the whole story. And they get it wrong and inspiration is fallible and they will make mistakes and they may call people that should never be allowed anywhere near a child to teach. And they don't always get it right. And we need to actually be saying it's OK to question. It's OK to challenge. It's OK to not accept everything you're told. And we need to teach our children and youth. And we can still teach them. We can still teach them the doctrines of the church about having faith in Christ, faith in God and inspiration. We can still teach that. But we need to quit telling them that God makes everything okay. Because for a child being abused night after night and praying for the abuse to stop, and we're saying, well, God intervenes to find lost car keys for people, but he doesn't intervene to stop me being raped. We need to kind of think about what we're saying. The other, just to move on, the other barrier we've got massively is in this cultural context is our culture of lay clergy. Now, that's that's great. I love that we have a lay clergy and I love that the people that are in our leadership are people from the communities in which they live and worship. But where that becomes really problematic is because we have a lay clergy we don't invest in good quality professional training for our lay clergy because we get a little bit confused about the fact that if they're lay clergy, we shouldn't equip them with professional qualifications and skills to do the calling, but we should. We need to recognise that lay clergy need professional training. Jane, you're... Oh, sorry. As we move to barriers, <laughs> sorry, Sarah. As we move right. to barriers to reporting, um, the, the your point there about lay clergy, um, 
you're going to be covering in one of these points not having the language to talk about it. Now, language is a is, is a thing that you that was actually one of the first huge safeguarding points that you had made around culture and language. Now, for example, um, we tend to refer to if you if you've been around Mormons, if you are a Mormon, um, you you've heard us talking about with quite you know quite a lot of pride. Um, we have we're led by lay clergy who don't get paid, and you know we and and it can suit us to say that we're not professional. Well, the language that we use around that is pretty specific. What we don't say is we have unpaid, unprofessionally um, accredited. Um, uh, uh, leaders who um, are often serving in uh, workplaces as salesmen, as <laughs> you know, and 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 different types of workplace, but they don't have professional qualifications to do this job. Um, it's a very different sort of focus, and we, we sort of tend to wear that that part that that issue is a bit of a badge of honor and yet if we rephrase it we can hear that it sounds quite alarming so that would be an example um of the language that we use but it extends quite dramatically um when we really drill down and think about reporting so could you take us through those points there that we have identified in our areas of concern about the barriers to reporting in the church yeah i think i think the number one barrier we've got to reporting within the church is the lack of lack of discussion that is had in church about abuse now we talk about how we're seeing some massive shifts in that in the last few weeks and few months we'll talk about that in a moment mm. but what, what we tend to see in the church is that people do not talk about abuse people don't have discussions about abuse there's generally in most of our chapels there's been no information displayed on in chapel buildings around abuse to give people any sense that we're a congregation and a group of people that understand it even exists in the first place a lot of parents are not talking to their children and a lot of leaders are teaching lessons to our youth about chastity about abstinence about purity culture but what they're not talking about is consent mm. healthy relationships and understanding what's okay, what isn't okay. The sexual shaming, sexual sin, that rhetoric that we're talking about actually is a barrier to reporting because people don't know how to talk about these things in an appropriate way. And when you're going to talk to somebody who is not trained, and I love having lay clergy, but they need to be trained. When they're talking to somebody who isn't trained and doesn't have an understanding of the impact of abuse, then it can be very difficult for them to even understand that somebody's making a disclosure, for them to actually be able to understand what somebody is saying if they're struggling to get this put into language. We, we don't give our kids the language to talk about abuse. And there's been organizational response in the church for ever and a day far far too many stories we could talk about all night where the organizational response has been not to take abuse seriously and we've seen examples of that we've spoken to people who haven't had their abuse taken seriously we've spoken to people who have been told to just leave it god will sort it out in eternity forgive and forget move on well what can we do she said he did this he said he didn't do it what are we supposed to do about it well it's between god and him you know we see and hear all these things where there is not an appropriate response to abuse and all of that becomes a barrier because the next person that comes along is not going to talk about abuse 
Right. And and I, I think just on that, um, as I was preparing this infographic mm. the other night and, uh, and, and we were discussing the language that we were using, we wanted to be very careful and ensure that we weren't sort of bringing our biases from mm. what we want to say. Uh, to make sure that this is actually, you know, what what victims have been and survivors have been telling us, and what what I was uh, struggling with, you know, I, I was sort of using using language around, you know, not being believed, bishops not believing, and actually we haven't any evidence to suggest that. Now there have obviously there are instances where that has been told to us. There are there are instances that that absolutely at times um, people have not been believed. Um, but that doesn't seem to be the endemic issue. What does seem to be the point, and and you know, it took you really to have to sort of, um, you know, break it down for me, is that actually it's a lack of understanding about how to respond to that abuse. That you don't often recognise that what's been um, presented as abuse, hmm. or um, you you don't um, necessarily, or or the the person reporting hasn't felt that you've understood. Or most importantly, that they haven't therefore felt believed. Um, mm. Moving on to that police response, um, we haven't always sort of seen the um, the response that we would um, like. We 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 do at times, which is wonderful, but it's definitely uh, something that we have identified mm. that that it would be helpful for police to better understand what abuse in a spiritual context looks like. And we are going to come back to that later because we've sort of started work in that area, um, and uh, and the police are very you know organizations are very um positive and have invited us to engage in that um sarah do you want to close up barriers to reporting and then take us into dbs checks as we kind of try and fly through this yeah i, th I think the abuse in the church is massively underreported it is across society abuse across the board is massively underreported we will not get to abuse being appropriately reported until we actually get to the point where members know that if they go and talk to somebody about abuse they're going to be talking to somebody that already has an understanding and a belief that abuse exists and people need to know that if i go and talk to this person they know abuse happens they have been trained they believe abuse happens we need to have more a really simple thing that can make a big difference is just displaying posters in our chapels that talk about abuse, that talk about safeguarding, that talk about what abuse is and different agencies to contact. Now, locally, we've got those posters, but I don't think it's happening nationally yet. That's something that we Sarah, need to talk about. Could we come back to the, the posters and actions a little, bit, a little bit later on so, because we're, we're going to need to go through yeah. um, each infographic. So what we're going to do, again, about the police response, what, what we're noticing is, uh, just to close out yeah. part two, is that police often, the language that we're using as Mormons is very in-group language. And so mm. some Sometimes the language, whenever you're reporting that to someone who doesn't have a background in the church, often the police don't really know what it is we're talking about. Um, you know, I'm having an interview with a bishop and and what's missing is um, that you're going to be alone, you won't be with parents, that there's going to be a certain tone of interview and you're going to be led in a certain way to talk about things um, that are of a sexual nature at times. Yeah. So, yeah, the police um, ha have, been, have been wonderful in, in engaging with 
uh, with uh, seeking information from us. Yeah. Going through DBS checks, we have the new DBS, um, the new UK system of criminal background checks, and it has been so well received. It has. But members need to gain confidence in navigating that process. It will take time. So we have lots of people saying, what's happening? Is everything sorted yet? Sarah, is everything sorted yet? <laughs> <laughs> do you know it's it's not totally sorted yet but i honestly think and hand on heart credit where credit is due i think the church have done a really good job of turning mm. this dbs scene around in a really short span of time now, let me just clarify I, we say that as sarah has been literally working crazy hours right. um you know on this sarah yeah. has been ready to and, hit her head off the wall <laughs> it's frustrating oh because it needs know. to take time and it's in these early days yeah and and it's needing a lot it is needing an awful lot of hand holding for a lot of people to get them through the process some people have been worried about the dbs some people have come to me and spoken about you know i'm really worried about this dbs because it's going to actually show this conviction or that conviction and i don't know what my bishop's going to think when he sees that so there's been genuine anxieties that people have had that we've been able to talk through and discuss and hopefully give people a bit of confidence in what the system is actually looking at. There's been bishops that have felt overwhelmed and have struggled with it and have actually said, I just feel so overwhelmed, I don't know what to do. And there's been flaws in an IT system that hasn't always been as smooth and as seamlessly brilliant as perhaps we'd love, love things to be. But what I would say is people overwhelmingly what people have said to me when we've been talking about dbs and doing dbs is overwhelmingly the message has been we should have done this years ago yeah i haven't had anybody not one person yet has said it's completely not a waste of time people have said well how's it going to help what difference is it going to make but overwhelmingly everybody is saying i don't know why we haven't done this for years so there's been really really good really good buy-in to the principle and the, pl the plan of doing dbs now there is an urgent need what we have also so this is really important because we're talking yeah. here about massive areas of concern that we've identified mm. we've th this has been very important to sarah um and she's been doing a lot of work around this but we've identified an urgent need we for have. that system to be extended to include missionaries and those working with vulnerable adults. And we're going to come back and say more about that just well, shortly. We will, but I think we can't stress that highly yeah. enough. It's absolutely a major flaw in our DBS system is we are only covering children at this moment yeah. in time. And there needs to be a lot more work done by the church to put together strong arguments for why we should be checking people working with vulnerable adults and missionaries. Uh, then the... Um, what discussion. is very really important is a discussion, discussion. Um, yeah. needed is needed on the process of assessing for convictions. Um, and I think that's really important because that that in itself can be far more complex than people think, because it might sound really easy. Well, it's really simple. If you actually look at somebody who's got a conviction, if they've got a conviction for abuse against a child, then that's it. They can never, ever work. That's it. It's out forever. But actually, what we need to look at is some of the real problems that there are around how are you making decisions? How are you making decisions about a 12-year-old boy 
that may have got in trouble for something sexual that may have happened at a time when he was being abused or it may have been that he's he's just had his 13th birthday his girlfriend's a couple of weeks younger than him she's 12 they have consensual sex but in law that's rape mm -hmm. yeah. so there's all sorts of problem problem issues that need to be looked at which and is why how... i think sarah it's so important that what we are saying and, and we're, we're saying this with lots of different things we we are not necessarily we're going to get to our recommendations and yeah. um, infographic in just a moment yeah. but this is why we call for discussion because it might be that what is you know as as part of those discussions um you know we, we've talked about this often as part of a church that um has a sort of very patriarchal church that has you know chastity culture is baked into it um sexual shaming and purity is baked into it now well we would love to completely see the end of of that type of um institutional problematic barrier to so many different aspects of of life um it might be that what's decided is that if someone has has committed an offense at a very young age that actually the church does decide um in the manner of chewed gum that that young man can never hold a calling again when you know as it relates yeah. to a child it may it may be that that is what which is why we're saying we need to discuss it and um i think things... key to the discussion jane the absolute key to the discussion is it should not be a discussion just between an untrained unexperienced state president bishop and church lawyer exactly. it needs it needs to be a discussion that involves experts that understand risk and understand how risk can be assessed how risk can play out and understands what is relevant and what isn't and people that can actually look at two widely different convictions and actually say you know what there's a lot of evidence that shows if you've got a conviction for that offense and that offense the risk is escalated you know i mean like for example there's a huge amount of evidence about people who've got convictions for burglary and mm -hmm. sexual offending that the risk is absolutely increased there's a mm -hmm. lot of things that they need to start looking at and understanding and this is where for my mind this is the one area where the church need to cease the insular culture that they have and actually get involved in partnerships and working with other people outside the church that truly understand and know this field Absolutely. and this isn't just for sexual abuse this is looking at domestic abuse it's looking at financial abuse for older people it's looking at emotional harm it's looking across the board all abuse get together with the experts in the field and ask them how you make decisions well put sarah um moving on can to we, can, uh, can we just look mm -hmm. at a couple of points that have come up in the chat jane before we move on um yes i am very okay. conscious of the fact though that if we okay. if we have to slow down we could potentially be here all night and we're in a okay, very limited time let's here keep so, going. Keep yeah going. let's let's do that and we'll come back to the comments at the end we will um, okay so in four we've got a lack of support <coughs> from church leadership now this includes uh point one the church our church leaders response to victims and offenders um lack of knowledge about victims needs focusing on forgiveness and the lack of cooperation with legal investigation and court systems now those things don't happen across the board but we um as we were looking at on nemo's show uh just just a short while ago 
we are seeing examples of that and we have heard um, directly and historically examples where victims um, have told us that the, the church has instructed bishops with key information as, yeah. as key witnesses not to testify. Right. This is a huge concern. It's a huge problem. What I would say about that is that's really, really worrying. And we've spoken to victims who are literally live things going on at the moment where they've been told, no, don't make a statement. The other side of that is as I've gone around doing lots of training and I've asked every single person I've been doing training, what would you do if somebody told you they'd abused a child? And overwhelmingly the answer is that they would report it even if the church didn't want them to they would report absolutely but we need to see that in practice <laughs> so running through the uh, fifth area of concern the missionary program again sarah has been working very hard on this missionaries serving in the uk from overseas are not subject to criminal background checks under the current policies confession of wrongdoing before or during a mission service are not consistently being responded to appropriately right. sarah we have had examples where we have had discussions with people where missionaries have confessed to abuse to their mission president and have continued to work in the mission field on the basis that they've repented because they've confessed. Well, hang on a minute. You've got them in a really vulnerable country working. Where's the safeguards? How are you protecting people they're coming into contact with? And part of repentance is doing some work around changing and understanding the attitudes, the values and the beliefs that led to that behaviour in the first place. And how are they doing that when they're serving as a missionary? Because I don't get how that works. Really worrying. The interesting bit is where countries where the government insist upon a missionary having a dbs check before they enter the country like kenya the church are doing them so we've got this whole thing again isn't it if the church the church want missionaries in kenya the kenyan government say well you're not coming in our country unless you've got a dbs check so they do a dbs check on them so they can do it they know how to do it they can do it and what's what's wonderful uh, to that I just I kind of want to emphasize these aren't just twenty first century saints areas of concern. This has right. been expressed to us by organisations, yeah, charities who are yeah. also extremely concerned. Yeah. This is a loophole that needs tied up, it, but we'll get it, to that in the, we will in talk the recommendations. About that um, yeah. Risk assessment and consequences. There's a lack of understanding about what risk actually is. Sarah, mm. I'm excited to hear you speak about this. Conflict between meeting victim needs and minimising reoffending. Now, we're just going to briefly mention what we mean by that, and we know that uh, we want to just put some trigger warnings out. We know that this can be a difficult uh discussion uh, so again we're stressing the need for discussion and then difficulty responding to allegations Sarah would you like to sum up that that little section there I think we're, I think we can sum that up again by saying the church needs to make more use of experts in the field to have these discussions because one of the things we've heard quite frequently is well there's nothing we can do it's only an allegation or well he hasn't been convicted yet he's waiting to go to trial we can't do anything until then. Well, yes, you can do something before then. You can sit down with people and you can discuss the concerns and you can come up with a plan and an agreement that's informed by evidence about what is needed to keep people safe. Lack of understanding of what risk actually is. We get we get silly comments like, well, okay, the abuse has happened now, so the risk is over. No, sorry, that that it doesn't work like that. 
how did that happen in the first place? What were the factors that led up to that abuse? Mm. What was going on for the offender that enabled them to overcome internal barriers so they could abuse? How do they overcome external barriers? What is the actual risk? Who They need to identify who is at risk, what is the risk likely to be, what is likely to increase that risk, what will decrease that risk, and what are the signs that risk is increasing? And what does a victim need to feel safe and to feel reassured that they are not going to have to come into contact with their abuser when they're at church on a Sunday? Absolutely. Thank you so much. And then finally, we have the seventh section, and that is on accountability and apology. Mm -hmm. Victim survivors have repeatedly spoken of their need for justice, change and accountability. Alongside ongoing systemic safeguarding improvements, an apology from general leadership to victims who have experienced abuse in the church would send a clear message that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints cares about abuse. Now, what Absolutely. I would say in addition to that, and uh, again, this was something that we hit in on the previous show where we were talking about abuse just a very short while ago as part of a panel or alongside Nemo the Mormon. As 21st century saints in doing this work, we are very, very clear on the fact that apology, that being able to say, I am sorry that happened to you can come from anyone at any time in any position you don't have to have authority to do that so while we are seeking general acknowledgement and yes apology to suggest that someone doesn't have the uh, ability or the authority in order to do that um if there would be any suggestion that that is somehow going to open you up to liability you can apologize, even yeah. if you haven't um, witnessed or been part of it, just to hear that acknowledgement is, is everything. Absolutely. Sarah, do you want to wrap up? Do you want to give there's, us some closing thoughts I don't on, on much, this section? I don't think there's much to say on that section. It's really clear on a human level, it is quite possible to say to a victim, I'm sorry you experienced that. That should not have happened to you. That was wrong. And on an organisational, institutional level, there's time to start thinking about how to formally apologise to victims of abuse. Superb. Now we're going to go to this next section, which is um, survey quotes. But before we do, um, yeah, we've been asked about... Uh, how will the missionary work when they come home from other countries and are missionaries not checked before the uh, before any international travel? Before you serve a mission, absolutely the checks are um, thorough in some respects. Um, mental health checks, uh, searching interviews on worthiness and uh, if, if there have been previous uh, sins or wrongdoings. Sarah. Do you well, want I mean, to give me the butt? On. Do you come want to give on. me that? They asked the question, have you ever sexually abused a child? Have you ever looked at illegal images of children? I know they call it child pornography, but it's illegal images of children. Let's be clear. They asked that question, but come on, how many people say yes to it? And yet people are confessing in the mission field. Some people are being sent home. Some people aren't. Yes. And some victims are only able to speak out when their victim has gone abroad. Right. And that's a really powerful message as well. Absolutely. So at the moment, there is no routine checking of missionaries entering this country or leaving this country. But we are going to be talking to that soon. 
We are on the case. Okay, uh, so we now case. have this, and this is um, what is really the most important next two slides of yeah. uh, the studies. Um, and we just want to thank those who have contributed, and just to stress that there's not going to be any identifying information given here. Um, we're about to call out our Brit Vengers mates in a moment, so if you guys are listening, know that we love you. Um, Voices from our survey on abuse in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints 2023. Sarah, shall we do one each? Shall we? Do you want yeah. to do the first one? I just wish that clear justice had been done. I feel that my abuser got away with it, that the people who are supposed to care for me, lead me, had actually cared. As a young teen, I told my branch president, who told me that I needed to repent for my sins, for 40 plus years, I thought it was my fault. At the time, reporting didn't occur to me. I didn't know it was an option and I'd never heard of abuse being reported. I've heard the whole God doesn't intervene thing, except he does repeatedly in the scriptures. So apparently he just doesn't intervene in cases of abuse where priesthood holders are the abusers. I was shunned for speaking up. And the final one in this, this uh, infographic is the only thing I'm interested in at this point is justice. Now, these were overwhelming messages from the survey and there is so much in the online survey so, so many things that we learned so powerful and uh and we're really thankful for that and what we learned is we have uh we have respondents who were willing to share with us um personal details um which we will not be sharing we we don't you know we don't have yeah. any intention yeah. to share uh, their their experiences what we are sharing is their voices and the impact that it's had and what they want the church to know and what they wanted us to know so that we could continue in this work they are seeking justice and change and accountability and apology and and what we're going to see in this next, this next it's, quote. It's those victims' voices that have yes. given us the energy and the motivation to keep going. When there's been days when we've just thought, you know what, I'm tired. I'm really, really tired. But the what has kept us going and given us the motivation and the energy is what we've heard in victims' voices. Absolutely. Now, moving um, to the case studies um that we have now before we do this let, yeah let's since our mormon civil war darling peter bleakley is here also so what we did do um just recently as we were tying up all of this information we have shared some key pieces of information with our buddies the brit vengers and um they have been as we as we work in this space. We frequently collaborate. We um, run wording sometimes past people. We we get their thoughts. Um, if there's something that's just driving us crazy, sometimes we'll go on an event and uh, and they're our team. And and sharing the information that we had gained first and foremost with our with our our team with our guys in the chair in the Brit Vengers, um, they have expressed absolute support 
and love and concern and uh, just sort of stressing. They are there in the background supporting 21st Century Saints in everything that we've done. Can I just and, make it absolutely, absolutely mm -hmm. clear to anyone who's listening? We have not shared anything yes. with the rest of the Brit Ventures that would identify a victim or that would identify an offender because that's happened quite a few times as well. Yeah. And we have not shared anything, even with this, that what we have shared has been to help understanding grow and develop, but nothing that would come close to confidentiality. Thank you for that, Sarah. And I just want to reiterate absolutely everything that we've been told is uh, is absolutely confidential, yeah. that we would never share any details or provide any information that could um, identify who you are. What we haven't ever been asked by our guys, uh, by our besties is, what are you doing to make sure that the people who have... Yeah come forward to you and said, I've got a concern about this individual right now. What are you guys doing about this? What have you, have you made sure that someone is safe? Have you made sure that the individual in this case is all right? Because they've trusted us because they know we're mm. on the case, which is absolutely darling. But I am taking yes. this moment to jump in and talk about how holding everyone to account in this space is so bloody important we expect that you're going to be asking us what we did with that information and how we responded where there is an active threat now sarah mm -hmm. in the course of our work how many as we would call it maybe an active concern would you say we've had i mean the, a lot there's there's been a yeah, lot. quite a lot i haven't yeah. I, I actually genuinely don't have the yeah. number in front of me but there's been some very genuine concerns that we have actually had to deal with and we've had to speak to the right people in authority about some genuine concerns but where you go about saying that our lovely Brit Venture crew haven't actually said hang on a minute have you reported that have you done anything about that they've just trusted us yeah well, I had a conversation with my MP and spoke to my elected member of parliament about my concerns about safeguarding in the church. Her first question to me, absolute first question was, is there any person that you believe to be at risk at this moment in time? Yes. And I was able to say no. And if there was, this is what I would be doing. When we've spoken to different people in children's charities that we've spoken to, the first question they said was, you have just told us about a case that you're looking for advice on. Has that been reported? Is that in the hands of the authorities? Are they acting on it? Because Absolutely. that is what you need to know. Do not just take it at face value that people are dealing with it. Ask the question, what have you done with that information? Now, we ask each other. We ask each other that question. We, you know, so, 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 you know, Jane had a conversation with a victim yesterday. And said, okay, what, what are you doing about that? What have you done with that? We have those conversations. And empowering people to ask the question. Um, Sarah, would, would you mind just sharing the example of um, having the confidence to ask someone if they're being abused? You, you use a particular example in your training. Yeah, I think it's really important to ask that question. You need to actually have the confidence to say to somebody, has anything happened to you that has made you feel uncomfortable? Has anybody hurt you? Is anybody uh, hurting you? And you, and you need to just ask the question. Yeah. Can you remember the example I'm talking about? 
the, the, I don't the, think I can uh, at the moment. Okay. Give me so, a clue. I, I, no, I'll just tell everyone. I'll just do it oh, for you. Um, so, and Sarah has referred to this in training. Is you know checked with me that it's all good. But Sarah has. There have been times where we've been having a conversation, and you know, I'm I'm wearing something where you can see my arms. Oh, oh, I'm not in it. Yeah, you go for it. Okay, I've used this in training as an example a few times, and I've said to people. Look, this is an example of where you might see signs of potential abuse that you need to pick up on and not ignore. And I give the example of having been on a phone call with Jane one night when we were on Messenger. And Jane was there and I could see the top of her arm. And there was a line of bruises that I could see. And I looked at these bruises and I thought, those are fingertip bruises. I thought, unmistakable fingertip bruising. There was even the thumping there and the fingers there. And I looked at them and I thought, I've got to ask her about this. I thought I have to ask the question. So I said, those bruises look really sore. And Jane said, oh, yeah, they're sore. You know, the Scottish bit, I'm a hard as nails I am. Oh, yeah, yeah, they're sore. I said, how did that happen? And then Jane explained what had happened, which was kind of just very briefly, just was in caring for Jane's son, who's got significant disabilities. He'd grabbed her and pulled and that had happened then. Now, I know Jane, I know her son, know the circumstances and was able to kind of feel reassured that, OK, that's a horrible experience for our Jane and we love her and admire her and it's horrible, but there was an explanation for it. Now, the response I got from some people was, but you could have ruined a friendship. When you asked her that question, it could have ruined your friendship. And I thought, but what if I was right? What if I was right that there was something to be worried about? that somebody had been hurting her. It's, you know, not thinking, and, what if you're wrong, you're wearing a friendship. Yeah. What if I'm right? What if I'm what if what if I was right and there was a problem? And and what it led to was a conversation because the, the reality yeah. is that that somebody did hurt me and that yes. somebody frequently hurts me and yeah. creates bruises and because yeah. he, you know my, my son hits out when he's extremely distressed and it's you know he, he's ex he, it's so horrible for him he's experiencing just complete meltdown and, and it's it's horrible for him um and I get to love him and hold him through that and I get to have a conversation with my friend who understands a little bit better the nature of yeah. because sometimes we are harmed in the course of our actions and it's horrible and it's it means there's a vulnerability there and yeah. that Sarah was able to yeah. sort of look at, at sort of support and conversations and he, and that must be really really difficult I just and what a brilliant excuse and so what we get to do is we get to ask people the tough questions we get to yes. ask people when it's painful but also we get to hold people to account when it's painful too and as we move yeah. into this fight this this um we have two final slides to to do the first is case studies and the the second is our recommendations um I, I want to just stress that as we were speaking about um elder kieran's talk before what it didn't consist of was the voices and comments from people who have experienced abuse. There, there, there were learnings, yes, but there, what there wasn't was real analysis of what are some of the core issues going on. What is it they're really saying? What is it they're really telling you? Um, they want an apology, yeah. Um, but also, what are you going to do to prevent 
abuse Absolutely. now and in the future? What are you going to do to mitigate the effects of abuse? And this is why I was sort of quoting, you know, Sarah's, you know, mantra um, that she frequently says, I believe what you do and not what you say, because we, we have a church that is full of these wonderful statements on abuse. They're very, very clear, undoing a lot of the harm that we previously heard from, you know, people like Elder Scott and, and our cake attitudes to abuse. What we expect now is, um, you know, Elder Karen, you're, you're wonderful. You learned, you gave a fantastic talk, but it's it's nothing groundbreaking in terms of abuse. It's something that you would expect to hear in any school, any organisation. In fact, it's actually <laughs> bloody crap if you looked <laughs> at it in those terms. What, what is wonderful is he goes, yes, I love what Patrick Karen said. Absolutely mm. loved his talk. Yeah. But he only said what any normal human being would say. And yet as a church, we're kind of thinking, isn't this amazing? Oh, isn't he great? Isn't it he is? brilliant? Yeah. But all, all he said was you go and ask most people on the street what they would say about abuse, and they would tell you that. You know, the old London omnibus, ask a man on a London omnibus question. That's what most people would say. It is not big news to say Jesus doesn't like it when you abuse children. <laughs> It, it, no, it just, I'm sorry, no. it isn't. We, I mean, we got to that point quite and some time ago. And it isn't, and neither is it big news that it's not victim's fault. That isn't something, that's not rocket science. That isn't something that we should be shouting for joy about, that a, an apostle, somebody who's now an apostle, has said it's not a victim's fault. That should be taken as the absolute norm and read. Mm, absolutely. We shouldn't, we shouldn't be excited about it. We should just be, well, that's normal. So these were more extensive case studies that we looked yeah. at. Um, this uh, first one, Sarah, do you want to do this one first? My abuse is from a well-known family. I didn't think anyone would think it was important. I told my bishop, but he just shrugged his shoulders. And that's from someone who's anonymous in the UK. These are, these are quotes uh, from case yeah. studies across the British Isles. My family felt they had to choose between me and the church. They chose the church. My parents told me not to report the abuse. They said it would make everything worse and it would be worked out in eternity. And we've heard very oh, variations of that so mm -hmm. many times. Just leave it to God. He'll sort it out in eternity. Don't stir trouble up. I now feel like a weight has been lifted since I've spoken to you guys, 21st century saints. I feel seen and heard. And that's what we find that people are looking for, to feel seen, to feel heard. Um, the, the, it, it's needed. I, I, I think the church, I think the lawyers for the church worry about the church being seen and having financial settlements heaped upon them. And that's right where that is what people want and that's right and proper and it should happen. But actually what most victims are saying is to us is they want to tell their story, be heard, be believed and have an apology. That's what most people are telling us. Right. This uh, is our final. And now we're, we're going to really do our best not to get uh, into the weeds. We are going to try to be very concise because we're yeah. moving towards wrapping up now. These are our recommendations from uh, what we've learned from Victim and Survivor Voices um, from our survey on abuse in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in 2023. As we cover these points, we're going to talk um, 
in the yellow section of the infographic, so the first part of each each section, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about um, things with reference to the new measures, what's, what's just happened and what are the state of things right now. And then we're going to, secondly, in each, each section, in the green section, we're going to talk about our recommendations. Now, we do have more recommendations than this, but this recommendations uh, graphic is going to uh, be our focus of what we're doing in 2024. So we achieved, because of you, so much this year, because of leaders who were listening, because of victims and survivors who spoke out, We people worked together to be able to get it to this point. Now, what we've learned here in the UK is that there are, we tend to see when it comes to abuse, a focus on what's happening in America and extremely sensational cases. What we found is that here, the sheer number that we were able to look at in 2023 was huge. We have a huge problem here in the United Kingdom with abuse. And so our focus is what's happening in this country and the laws around it so that in other countries, people can um, assess what's happening and focus on country specific issues. So things in your state, will be different from things that are happening here, but you can sort of learn some lessons from what works and what approaches need to change based on where you live because the laws where you live will be very different. In the United Kingdom, we were able to take what had happened at a national level and what the government's working on, what um, national organisations are working on, and we were able to... Um, sort of be embraced as, as organisations were delighted to work with us um, and are excited to continue to work with us in 2024. We're going to tell you more about that next year. But we are in a position now where we are able to um, feed into information that can guide government policy, that's going to be able to inform organisations such as police organisations and support services, and to really look at how things are being handled at a national and governmental level. We are so proud of the grassroots work that has been done. And let me assure you that really exciting things are coming in 2024 because of this. So what we're asking for, like we told you, we told you we were going to do this. We're going to ask for more. So um, in 2023, this is the first section, uh, our first uh, request, our first recommendation. In 2023, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, North Europe Area Presidency, Briefly, set up a temporary committee to discuss implementing new safeguarding procedures in the UK. Sarah, do you want to take us through what we recommend? We recommend implementation of a permanent safeguarding committee to advise and report on development and best practice. Victims, survivors, members from vulnerable groups and external organisations should be represented. That will get the church to the gold standard that they want to be at for safeguarding. Keep reviewing, keep understanding, keep learning. Yes, yes. We're passionate about that one. Absolutely. The second section, criminal background checks were introduced in 2023 for members who are likely to come into contact with children and youth in the course of their church service. 
well, we want these DBS checks extended to include members who may come into contact with any vulnerable adult, adult, such as those with disabilities, mental health issues and the elderly. In the next section, a new voluntary role of safeguarding specialist was created. And this is to answer one of our viewers', viewers questions. It's actually my brother uh, who had asked about this. So is it just Sarah who's doing this work in her stake? No, this is in every stake. So a new voluntary role of safeguarding specialist was created, which selected a church member from each stake to support leaders and congregations and assist with new safeguarding annual audits and we need to begin learning from the experiences and understanding of new specialists to consolidate knowledge and assess the need a system of feedback and analysis will help specialists develop their knowledge and gender confidence when their advice is sought so we need to get to a point where church leaders have confidence in the safeguarding specialists to ask for advice and guidance the next recommendation, training was introduced for stake safeguarding specialists and key church callings. More substantial training is required, which should be directed and delivered by experts. Training should draw on the experiences of victims and opportunities to identify biases and assumptions. Training should be regular and comprehensive. Training is so fundamental, we just cannot overestimate and overreg how foundational training is. Now I'm really excited about this next one. Um, what I'd like you all to keep in mind uh, as we go through the, the next recommendation is uh, there's been a bit of discussion recently in the world of Mormonism and out with it uh, on mandatory reporting well, and there's a lot yeah there's a, there's a lot of discussion. And it can be very controversial. It is. It is. Uh, absolutely it is. Um, rightly so. Yeah. This section, uh, expectation around reporting was previously laid out in the easily accessible Church Handbook of Instructions. The updates to the UK safeguarding policy was sent to key church leaders in the UK and received positive worldwide media attention. Yeah. We need to be looking at mandatory discussions and we need to be saying to everybody in this church, if you come across a situation of possible abuse, confirmed abuse, disclosure, just concerns and a worry that something isn't right, those safeguarding concerns should be reported at the first opportunity to your local safeguarding team in the local authority. And if somebody's at risk, call 999 immediately. The church helpline, should be reviewed to actually look at how does that operate you know bishops can call a helpline what do victims get you know let's have a think about what's going on here who are the experts advising and do we need it, to get rid of the helpline well yeah do we need to revamp it and have experts actually yeah. people that actually the lawyer gives the legal advice and experts give the safeguarding advice mm -hmm. the church helpline should be reviewed each report of abuse should be reviewed for learning and improvement now that is one to me that is very very important if there is an incident of abuse there should be an honest review of how did that abuse happen what went wrong with the policies and procedures to enable that to happen and what needs to be changed amended tightened up to prevent that in the future and that 
that review of that case should not be done by somebody who's been involved in responding to the case just because good practice when i was working one of the things that i did when i was working was i was responsible for doing reviews for um, youth justice board home office safeguarding board when there'd been serious sexual cases that we knew the person and there was another offence and it's like, how the heck did that happen? And we, we'd have to do a comprehensive review on how this had actually happened. And the, the first thing you did was you did not ask the practitioner who'd worked on the case or their manager to review the case. You gave it to somebody else so there was some complete independence with it. Not because you're looking for blame, not because you were looking to point the finger and cause problems but because you were looking to make sure it could never happen again and looking for complete honesty in the review and I think if we got to having a really open transparent review system of abuse in the church members would have much more confidence in the church around handling and responding to abuse victims would start to feel greater confidence and the church would be seen as a far more credible organization in safeguarding Absolutely. But it's about the church have got to trust to let go and allow other people in. And I know that as we uh, continue to work in this space, we're going to drill down a little bit more into mandatory discussion. And oh, uh, But in the meantime, uh, give some thought, you know, our, our audience, church leaders, give some thought to how the, you know, the, the language that we use is different from mandatory reporting. What is different about mandatory discussion in light of what Sarah's just been talking about? And we're excited to, to drill down more into that mm. with you. Now, this last part and we've we've asked i think for some big things we've asked for big things throughout this entire process and well, uh, and we've been listening yeah, i want to say something about that in a moment when you've read this i'll come back to okay. that one about big we, things we are asking um for really tough things and we know that this is going to be challenging but we also absolutely believe that in light of what we have learned and heard in light of the work that we've been doing we believe that these recommendations are the best possible standard that should be acted upon immediately yeah. this is where we want to see you move yeah. so the final section here in 2023 the church in the united kingdom has taken positive steps in engaging with survivors reviewing processes and responding to local needs. We applaud the church's willingness to make therapeutic services available free of charge to people who require them, as well as other procedures such as membership record annotations and public sustaining of members who are called to volunteer in church service. But additionally, to make this church as safe as it can be and to really move to a really strong position in safeguarding. We need, we're calling on the government for oversight of safeguarding and all religious organisations. And that's not just our church. Across the faith communities, there is a need for government to have more oversight of what is happening. At the moment, it's all left on a voluntary basis to faith communities. You can follow the guidance or you don't have to. It's up to you. We are calling for the government to take oversight seriously of safeguarding and religious organisations. And we also are calling and asking for the church to publish figures and review of its handling of cases of abuse. We want the church to sign up to external safeguarding oversight organisations to promote transparency, interagency and interfaith links. 
And that's a big one. We're asking the church to kind of open up the doors and say, do you know what? We've had 100 cases of abuse. This is what we've learned. We call for independent audits, reviewing all recent current abuse cases to identify prevention. So we're, what we're really asking is for the church to lose its insular stance and to become receptive to external voices coming in and helping to guide and lead. But can I just, I just want to come back to what you said about we're asking for big things here. Back on the 17th of August in 2022, we came together with our initial podcast to ask for very big things, which was DBS checks in the UK, safeguarding specialists, information to be available to people around abuse. We asked for these things. We, we sat and we asked that this be done and training. We asked for those things to happen. Now, a lot of people said it would never happen that we had our heads in the clouds. A lot of other people predicted we'd be excommunicated before it happened. And some people were like, no, oh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens here. But what I would say is when we started this, probably what, 18 months ago? Mm -hmm. Well, less than 12 months of the day we started, 12 months, less than 12 months of that day, we had got to a position where the church had formally announced safeguarding specialists in every stake, better training, information being more readily available, and the crucial DBS checks. That took 11 months, and they had a safeguarding committee as well. So, yes, we asked for very, very big things 18 months ago, and we're asking for very, very big things again now. So let's just see if by the end of 2024, these things that might seem like a wish list and they might seem like pie in the sky and they might seem like we don't know what we're doing, but you all told us that 18 months ago and look where we are. So let's just see if we can get there now. Again. Thank you so much. Uh, working with Sarah has been such an education and with Ruth and with the whole of the rest of the gang who have been doing incredible work to support us. Most importantly to the victims um, and survivors, those who have come forward to speak to us this year, we have learned so much. We have been absolutely inspired and driven by your voices. Um, again, we want to just restate that everything that you've told us is in confidence and that we are as responsible as we can possibly be with what we've learned. We expect to be held to account for being the holder of your stories. This is what we hope we can offer as part of your healing journey, as part of it. If there is anything that you need us to better understand or anything else we can learn, we'd love it if you get in touch. We appreciate everyone who's reached out and everyone who will continue to do so. We would love especially to hear how safeguarding is looking in your stake because we're at such yes, a young please, stage please. that you know it's going to look different everywhere. I would pay money to sit in on um, the training that Sarah's been offering recently. We, we, we do it online. I think we do, we, do, we do it online one day. Do you all want to come? Do you all want to come? Let's, do, you yeah, come? do you know what? We'll get the Brit Vengers in and uh, make sure we'll they it. know how to hold us to account yeah. and make it sure was, that I mean, we're was, being responsible. It was really basic training because I decided I wanted to start at an absolute foundation level 
for people who never even heard the word safeguard and didn't know what it was about. But we're going to do that training. It'll be good. Sarah had also they what she it. also amazingly does is empowers people to think it's a load of crap. And and it's incredible how she does it, and it's it's very much worth doing. And and what's so important is we we've seen people report on how again I guess I'm I'm sort of coming back a little bit to to what Nemo was was discussing earlier on, along with Peter on his on on Nemo's show. We talk about Elder Kieran and fantastic talks and what and what good men are bishops and leaders are. We have experienced the goodness of people yeah. and men. We've also experienced a hell of a lot of bloody idiots, let's face oh, it. Yeah, but sorry. overwhelmingly, um at, well, we've also experienced there's 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 a lot of cruelty and um abuse out there. Mm-hmm. But overwhelmingly, there are so many good people. Now, you can be as good as you like. And, and I guess I'm saying this directly, again, about the helpline, uh, about the work that our, our area presidents are doing, which we've heard what you do in the background. We honour and applaud it. It is exceptional. But we also ask you to do more. That while calls to the helpline take place, while talks are given, the question that we expect the rest of the Brit Avengers to be asking us is what are you doing in this case to respond to this individual and is this person being kept safe? Is this risk being managed? Now, I can give you a great talk about uh, what what's uh, sort of warm and fuzzy about abuse and how to, we can talk about how to empower victims and how to know that it's not your fault. Victims, please know that it is not your fault. But you also want to hear what is being done to keep you safe? Is this going to happen again? Is this person going to hurt more children? Do you still have access to more children? And what we've been able to do in specific cases where we have had permission to do so from a from a survivor who has asked us, is we've been able to engage with the church to make sure that that person will never work with another child again, that that is being dealt with appropriately. And in many instances, the church have been aware and uh, have looked at the situation and can assure us that absolutely it has. Mm. Now, we expect that kind of response. You tell us... You have a right to know that people are being kept safe if you have a concern. And I think when we've taken some concerns to the appropriate person within the church who we're liaised with and we have discussions with on a very regular basis about harm and abuse, when we've had that discussion and it's been something they haven't known about, they've actually been appreciative of the information, they've gone away and they've been able to come back and prove to us what they've done with it to make sure the situation is safe. And every now there's case. room for that to be improved. I'm not saying it's fun, it's yes, brilliant, yes. but but we have quite honestly we've never yet come across a case where they said we're not doing anything, not interested in this. They have taken it, they've listened, they've acted, and they've provided sufficient proof for us to feel satisfied that they've done something to uh, respond and- appropriately. And and I think it's really important though to you know as we follow up with that that statement that's absolutely true. I echo what Sarah said in every um, case, every case that's been taken seriously. And can every- I just say we will never, we will never ever hear us talking on this podcast about this particular offender that somebody's told us about who abused them when they were a child, who went to prison, is now active in this area. We will never, we will never discuss that on air. Um, what's really important to to make very clear 
is that although it's true that absolutely every case that we have presented to the church officially asking about safeguarding uh, specific concerns where individuals especially are currently at risk and historic situations, while each one has been taken extremely seriously and has been dealt with in a, or is being dealt with in a very mm -hmm. timely manner, we are engaging in that process. That's because we, in this work, have been able to bring those questions. Now, every person who's contacted us, all 140 cases that we looked at, didn't have the privilege that we did where we can access the right individual who's able to and willing to support us with that. Mm -hmm. We are so thankful that there are, you know, the, the the processes have been put in place where where um the church has been listening to and responding to the concerns that we brought. But that's not something that everyone can easily access. Right. So we want to just highlight that although that's the case, that's not an across the board thing that's happening it's here. Not. And and it's not perfect because there are cases where victims want more information than they it's want to speak to specific people and they want things to happen. So it's not yet perfect, but the church are the church are working hard to get it right. So friends who have been with us on this journey, um do us a favor. Um <laughs> Keep up this bloody good work. Um, keep an eye on 2024. We're going to take a little bit of a break for a few weeks. We are going to be coming back with uh, content that is uh, more discussion-based than safeguarding. But just know in the background, we're working very, very hard. Um, we appreciate you. We love you. Now, as a final closing thought, head over to Nemo the Mormon's website. Go go buy someone that you love uh, a Nemo the Mormon t-shirt uh, or hoodie for Christmas. Get your Brit Avengers merch. You can go and do that too. It's really, really lovely and cute. And, and so many people have a crush on them that if you're buying it for your loved ones, they're probably going to love it and wear it a lot. <laughs> so you're welcome for your Christmas suggestions here. But thank you so much for being with us on this crazy journey. And Thank you for uh, being there for us when we've run out of juice a little bit yeah. uh, because we have our own crazy things going on. It's been an honour to work with 21st Century Saints that you you guys are the, you, you guys have, have been such a huge part of my 2023 and, and my journey. And for all mm -hmm. of the people who support us in the, the chat community, oh, we just... You've become our friends and we get such a kick out of your ridiculously inappropriate sense of humour, um, repent, and uh, and also just, you know, just the, the support that you give us in reaching out. You're, you're incredible. Um, please, lots of self-care and have a peaceful Christmas. We yeah. send our love uh, from the whole Brit Avengers gang and we'll see you in 2024 to get your sleeves rolled up and to yeah. get to work on phase two of 21st Century Saints Safeguarding Project. Have a good night. Yeah, good Christmas, everyone. May it be everything you need it to be. Night. <laughs>